0: Welcome to another exciting episode of NIDS Knowledge, this one being Real Space Strategy Edition. This podcast is produced by the National Institute for Deterrence Studies, where we are advancing peace, promoting stability, and helping you to think deterrence. Each week, we will inform you about the latest in space strategy and its importance to our national defense. Recently, there have been press reports of GPS signals being jammed and not available in many areas of Eastern Europe and the Baltic. According to gpsjam.org, during Christmas 2023, parts of Poland, Lithuania, Southern Sweden, and other countries in the Baltic region were degraded, with Poland carrying the majority of impacts with the northern two-thirds of their country hit, and many vital areas of infrastructure, ground and air, having to deal with this dangerous situation. Then, on New Year's Eve, Finland experienced significant jamming as well, with the main jamming impacts affecting commercial aviation. Researchers at the University of Texas Radio Navigation Laboratory say that these series of attacks were perpetrated by several transmitters spread across a wide area. Some were, quote, simply jamming GPS signals to deny service. At least one transmitter was spoofing aircraft so that their instruments would show them far from their actual location. This is known as circle spoofing, where a receiver is electronically captured and moved to a different location. Then it is made to appear to move in circles, almost always in a clockwise fashion. The jamming systems, given the geometry of the effects, indicate it came from sites in Western Russia. While this type of attack has been used against shipping and naval assets, this is considered by many to be the first time GPS jamming has impacted commercial aviation in that part of the world. These events are extremely dangerous, putting the lives of civilians at risk both on the ground and in the air. For example, in the Middle East, one instance of jamming GPS signals almost led an aircraft to enter Iranian airspace without clearance, causing grave concern of it being intercepted and shot down by mistake. Another almost caused an airliner to crash into a mountain. Some commentators believe that this was a response To Russian anger over the activation of US anti-missile systems in northern Poland in mid-December and Sweden's progress toward NATO membership. This view, while not necessarily wrong in the sense that it could have been part of a response, fails to see the bigger picture and the threat that navigation warfare now poses to United States, NATO, and other friendly nations and their critical infrastructure. So what is navigation warfare and how does it pose threats to US and NATO forces? But more importantly, how can it pose threats to the civil population? First, it is important for us to acknowledge that our daily lives are impacted by PNT, which stands for Positioning, Navigation, and Timing Systems like GPS. That is because key areas of critical infrastructure such as energy, transportation, agriculture, and communications are reliant and integrated with GPS timing and navigation signals. Timing signals are used when you gas up your car, when you make a banking transaction, or when you use your cell phone clock to tell time. Navigation signals are used to find your way around when driving your car, plotting routes in commercial aviation, and when tracking packages during shipping of goods and services worldwide. From a military standpoint, GPS has become indispensable to military operations on Earth. GPS is leveraged to aid navigation of defense forces, aid the creation of common operating pictures, for generals and other leaders to track the movement of air, sea, and land forces, as well as used in precision targeting, communications, weapons guidance, and reconnaissance. As such, despite GPS being an outstanding tool of efficiency, our heavy reliance on PNT has created an attractive target for adversaries who aim to degrade or destroy Allied capabilities and readiness. This engagement of PNT signals for military purposes is called navigation warfare, or NAVWAR. NAVWAR is defined as a set of actions intended to fortify friendly use or disrupt enemy use of PNT data. This type of warfare has only increased in recent years and will likely continue to do so. Unlike other electronic systems, GPS signals tend to be weaker, which is why it's an attractive target that is relatively easy to jam. For example, a single 1-watt jammer can deny GPS service to a range of 10 kilometers or more. In addition, given jamming requires a low power signal, detecting the location of a jammer can be difficult. These factors make jamming a simple, inexpensive, and effective threat that can be carried out by a so-called unsophisticated adversary. In addition to jamming, spoofing attacks are another common attack vector for NAVWAR. In a spoofing attack, an adversary substitutes a false signal for true PNT information. This can then fool the target into making mistakes, such as targeting errors or moving into territories unintended. Either of these events, hitting the wrong target or entering sovereign airspace, can both be used against U.S. and NATO by adversary information operations to paint us in a negative light, despite it being a result of an attack by them and not due to our own negative intent. To highlight how this has not been a one-off and not just something done by Russia but other adversaries and unfriendly states, a recent white paper by a group called Safran gives the following examples. In 2017, a reported spoofing attack in the Black Sea confused about 20 ships whose automatic identification systems, those are the systems that help people track the ships and their location, it placed them roughly 25 miles from their actual locations. A March 2019 report from the Center for Advanced Defense reported that there had been nearly 10,000 instances of GPS spoofing in areas in and around Russia. These incidents occurred mostly around Ukraine and in particular on the Crimean Peninsula over which Ukrainian and Russian forces are fighting. I'll also just add here that other adversaries such as the Iranians and North Koreans have been known to use such GPS jamming impacts. Back to Safran, the group of PNT experts recently published another white paper that states, quote, Russia has invested significant resources into various methods of navigation warfare and electronic warfare, providing a way to neutralize other nations' technology and turn what has historically been an advantage to a liability, end quote. This is not a new development. Even back in 2016, Russia announced that it had installed GPS jammers on cell phone towers to disrupt cruise missile attacks on its homeland, and they have claimed that their new capabilities have rendered Western aircraft carriers useless. With this increase in Russian and other adversary nav war attacks, what has the U.S. and NATO done about it? And do they even consider nav war attacks to be an attack or simply just interference, which is a word commonly used in policy circles about such things? While the NATO alliance has acknowledged the threat posed by spaceborne attacks upon NATO forces and member states' infrastructure, little tangible results have been gained. NATO acknowledges the threat posed by the failure of NATO's strategic rivals to distinguish between a civilian and military target with regard to navigation warfare, and while NATO allies control more than 50% of active satellites orbiting Earth, most NATO activity on this threat has not left the policy discussion phase. Only recently has NATO agreed to call space an operational domain, despite decades of leveraging the space assets of its member states like the U.S., Canada, U.K., and others for military purposes. It has not acknowledged space as a warfighting domain, as the U.S. and several other allied states, and appears hesitant to go much beyond the policy development and diplomatic arena to address the threat posed by Russian and other NAVOR attacks upon its eastern flank. It seems also that NATO has not even agreed that NAVOR incidents are to be considered attacks, as seen in our earlier examples from the end of 2023 in Eastern Europe and the Baltic, all of which are NATO nations, minus Ukraine, obviously. As of this podcast, I am not aware of any responses from NATO or to to Russian government or military officials. Doesn't mean that it hasn't happened. I just haven't seen anything to prove it. On the U.S. side, from a U.S. standpoint, one of the most recent policy efforts regarding this threat of navigation warfare was the 2020 executive order titled Strengthening National Resilience Through Responsible Use of Positioning, Navigation, and Timing Services. This document recognizes attacks on PNT systems like GPS as threats to critical infrastructure that can compromise the health and public safety. It ordered a review by the National Institute of Standards and Technology to establish cybersecurity recommendations for PNT systems, but it does not address jamming and spoofing attacks in any great detail. The current administration has mentioned the connectivity of space systems to critical infrastructure including seeing space systems like GPS as critical space infrastructure as well. However, while this is all good, no details are mentioned on how to address the threat or if it is to be considered as an attack or act of war to be dealt with with war weapon systems or other means. It seems that primarily the U.S. Space Force is focused on what policy allows them to, which is reality, which is on the resiliency of systems and cyber protection. And again, while good starting points, this still leaves a lot of questions about how the U.S. is and should address nav war attacks, especially those that put the lives of Americans, not just hardware, at risk, such as commercial aviation, or shipping, or even potential attacks upon Allied infrastructure. The good news is, if any can be found, is that military forces and the private sector have been developing some defenses against navigation warfare. According to Safran's white paper on the topic, a few of these defenses include integrity monitoring. So first, integrity monitoring means monitoring the integrity of PNT signals, and that enables users to determine whether they can be trusted or not. Authenticating signals provides a powerful tool for integrity monitoring, and these can include other systems to decrypt precision GPS observations and military receivers, for example, deployed after 2006 are required to use a system called SASM. Second, with regard to GPS-3, the new GPS system being launched now is the M-code, or military signal. This military signal used in the L-1 and L-2 GPS bands for U.S. operations is provided by the new Block 3 satellites, as mentioned before, but because the ground user segments are just now beginning to move ahead toward fielding, U.S. forces are just beginning to be able to get equipment with this signal on deployments. And some Allied forces in Europe are also expected to gain access to the M-code as well. Finally, there are anti-jam solutions such as controlled radiation pattern antenna that focus on satellite signals and away from interference. Those are also being pursued. M-code receivers use higher power signals to resist jamming and interference, as well as encryption, among other security features, to thwart spoofing. So what's the way ahead? While some of these measures listed above sound encouraging, it must be noted that many of these were developed years before the uptick in nav warfare against U.S. assets and reliant critical infrastructure in Europe. While some of the State Department believe that GPS jamming should be viewed as routine during wartime, I, for one, believe that given the moment—excuse me, let me start over that part again— I, for one, believe that given the movement of this away from purely impacting military forces to impacting our civil population and the lives of allies and partners' civil populations, health and safety, NAV warfare should not be seen as a routine action but what it is, an attack upon the nations and the alliance itself. Previous writings and commentaries by myself and others have stated that purposeful interference by jamming and lazing have been treated as the real norm of behavior day to day and not just during wartime. As a result of allowing this behavior to continue unchallenged in any meaningful way, it will take more than diplomatic and legal discussions to make this growing threat become less dangerous to the lives of our armed forces and citizens, health, and public safety. The job of a nation's defense establishment, its constitutional duty, is the defense of our nation's people, its infrastructure, and its vital national interests. While this may be difficult for some to deal with, it is imperative that the DOD and Congress treat this threat for what it is, as an attack upon the U.S. and our NATO allies. While legally, in some minds, it does not attain the level of an act of war, the damage that such attacks can have upon our society and military readiness has attained a level of importance co-equal with how our nation used to treat attacks upon early warning radars and strategic communications and missile warning assets, as a prelude to attack and thus worthy of a counterstrike in and self-defense. Since the use of formerly labeled strategic space assets as tactical tools in the 90s forward— Many adversaries, such as China and Russia, no longer are held back by such declaratory policy as they believe that we have moved and superseded it by our own actions over the past several decades as a tactical use asset. China has labeled space assets of any kind as a, quote, low threshold target and are quite tempting and will lead to what they call a grave aftermath for the U.S. and its people. Yet because we are a peaceful people and seek to avoid conflict at almost any cost, that does not mean we should ignore the issue and hope it will go away. If we are to deter attacks against U.S. critical space infrastructure, of which GPS is the linchpin for so many sectors, we must, as Bernard Brody, the old deterrence theorist, stated, we must be willing to do terrible things in order to have credible deterrence in the mind of an aggressor willing to use force. Now that's a paraphrase, but that's essentially what he said. Another great strategic theorist, this one from France, French analyst Therese Delpec, once spoke on how big nations like the United States are allowing smaller states to change the status quo in their favor with little or no punishment or enforcement. For deterrence, is tied to sustaining the status quo as much as it is to preventing the attack in the first place. Her example given was North Korea, but we could probably apply that to the Russians or any other adversary like Iran as well. We say don't do something, they do it. We say, don't do it again, or else they do it a second, third, or fourth time, and then we still don't follow through with our threats of force. So in order to reestablish deterrence requires the will to take forceful action, and that can mean the use of force in an escalatory fashion. In fact, deterrence requires the will to escalate and to achieve escalation dominance over opponent, especially those opponents such as Russia and China that look at deterrence, especially Chinese in this respect. Given their attack-to-deter philosophy, they have a more proactive approach. Yet we still have a Space Force postured for limited use of reversible counter-space operations and not for a multi-layered, multi-segment conflict in, from, into space. While it might be the policy position currently, as war and other seemingly low-threshold space attacks continue to increase upon U.S. and NATO nations' infrastructure and military forces, lives will begin to be lost and the perception that such actions of purposeful and harmful interference will begin to be seen by the public as the attacks that they are. And I personally don't think that saying to the American public or the citizens of NATO nations that we're merely degrading gracefully, I don't think that will sit well with them. They want action, and they want, and they will demand to no know why our defense establishments fail to protect them and their means of living and their safety. So how we do this remains a topic needing immediate strategic level action and fast. If the current administration does not feel it is a worthy topic and that we can mitigate the threat rather than deter the threat, perhaps Congress should look into this more in depth and determine how we can, in the shortest time possible, find a more credible way to deter and prevent navigation warfare attacks upon our critical infrastructure and the independent use of our military force. We should not give Russia and China free reign over our systems without a credible response, or better yet, proactive deterrent actions. With that, that concludes this episode of Real Space Strategy. I'm Christopher Stone. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to NIDS Knowledge, Real Space Strategy. The Real Space Strategy edition is produced under NIDS Podcasting Network, a division of the National Institute for Deterrence Studies. NIDS is a 501c3 organization dependent on donations to provide this podcast and bring about awareness of the peacekeeping value of U.S. strength and our national deterrence. You can catch all of our podcasts or provide feedback at thinkdeterrence.com. I want to thank our producer, Kimberly Sherrington, our sponsors, and all the fantastic members of the National Institute for Deterrence Studies for making this podcast possible. Stay tuned next week for another exciting and informative NIDS knowledge.